It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday january 18th you're listening to episode 451 as always i'm your host jason and i here today have with me the first mentee from our tabletop mentorship partnership as teased previously that mentee that we have with us today is jamie sabriel flez how you doing today jamie hello <laughs> i'm i'm doing i'm doing so well how are you? Good. I'm very good. Yeah, I'm Sweet. excited to have excited to have you on the show as our as our first official mentee of the group of three. Oh heck yeah! I'm so pumped. I'm I'm excited to be official at anything really. Right. <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> me too. You um. So so I would love to. Uh, I'd love to uh, be able to kind of tell everybody a bit about you as a game designer. Obviously, you are a game designer. That was I one am. of like the qualifications, you know, <laughs> as somebody who wants to design games or is designing games uh, to be on the show to to talk about stuff. Uh, you're like, no, actually, I am a construction worker. Like that's all I do, and we're going to talk about architecture and construction. It's going to be we have great. a CPA. So, yeah. yes. Oh gosh, no. We do have some listeners that would be very into that, though. That's. So. I mean, listen. There's a there's a a game design audience for everyone. Right, right. That's it. Is you are not wrong. So, well, Jamie, tell tell us a bit about yourself and uh, and your game design and personally and all of that jazz. Absolutely, sure. Yeah. Um, so my name's Jamie. Uh, I use they them pronouns. I am a queer non-binary game designer. Uh, I have been casually designing games for basically my entire life. Uh, I think my first game I designed between first and second grade, uh, and it wasn't balanced or good. But uh, it <laughs> occupied me for a summer, and so my parents were happy about it. Um, and then uh, fast forward to my adult life, and I started the process of trying to design a game that like other people would actually play about six years ago or so, knowing that it was the start of a process of, I'm just trying stuff out, I'm just learning. And the goal there was just, you know, learn as much as possible, do experiments, get my feet under me. Uh, and what I was looking for, the the thing that I was looking for to turn the corner into, all right, this is the game I'm going to take to the finish line, is mm -hmm. when I designed a game that I never wanted to stop playing. I just yeah. could, I just never, ever got sick of it. And so that happened about two, two and a half years ago uh, with my game Fight Sequence, which um, we'll deep dive on that later, but Fight yeah. Sequence is the name of my game. And um, that is the one that I'm gearing up to kickstart and we are closing in on the home stretch, fingers crossed. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't have any actual published games yet. Fight Sequence will be my first Um so if you are counting published games, I've been a designer for, or like games that are going to be published. I've been a designer for two years. If you're counting when I started taking it seriously, it's about six or seven, all that fun stuff. I, I say that you're a game designer when you decide you're designing games. So like whenever that was, oh. you know, I mean, nobody can. 27 years uh, ago or something? So, <laughs> so one of the, one of the, so this is an interesting story. So, and I think I've told this on the podcast before, but it was a long time ago. No one will remember. I was in, <laughs> was one of our first, uh, it was our first live show we ever did at Gen Con. And uh, as we were, uh, we were packing up to leave our live show, um, this, this old, old game designer guy came in and was, had the next thing. And he was, he was being real huffy with us to get out of there. Uh, and we're Ooh. trying, like we were ahead of time. We're trying to get out. And he was being very huffy about it. Um, and as we're packing up, he starts talking and he says, how many of you here are game designers? And like a bunch of people rose their hands. Right. And he said, how many of you have a published game? And then, and then like less people rose their hands. And he said, how many of you have had a published game by somebody who wasn't you? And then one guy had his hand up and he said, you are a game designer. The rest of you are on what? your way there. And like, and it is one of my greatest regrets. The audience left. <laughs> but, and they did it. They just sat there and listened to this guy. I don't know. I'm sure he was somebody semi-important, right? Mm -hmm. I say with air quotes. Yeah. But I, it's one of my greatest regrets that I, like, like Jason of today would have been like, excuse me, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But Jason of back <laughs> then would, was like, Oh no, no, no. Like, I don't know. Like I was like, this is awful. And I'm sure I made an awful face, but I just left. Right. And 
Um, and I, I think that one of the things we see in this industry or have seen is in, you see every, every industry, right? In every club, yeah. everything, you've got the gatekeepers, right? They try to yeah. tell you how to define how you're allowed to define yourself as a creator, right? Um, or as a whatever you want to be when it comes to, you know, whatever you're going to do, right? And it's... Yeah. And and I hate that. So so yes, to be clear, long answer, <laughs> you're a game designer. If you're if you if you want to design games, you're a game designer, right? So Yeah. I like that. I like that. And honestly, if if anybody else were to come up to me and be like, yo, I'm a game designer, and then I'll say, Cool, if you have you published any games, and they said no, I'd be like, Okay, cool. Uh you're still right. a game designer. It's it's honestly just me feeling that imposter syndrome kind of thing. It's not like right. Like, I don't think I've experienced anybody gatekeeping me, honestly. Uh, the I've been in a bunch of different communities, and uh, mm -hmm. of them all, the board game design community is, like, the most... I mean, obviously, no community is perfect, but this is by right, far the right. most wholesome and satisfying one I've been in. <laughs> so, That's good to hear. And, oh, yeah. and I know that so many of us are really focused on that and trying to yeah. make sure that we're being open and we're being... And that if we're gatekeeping anyone, it's the bad people who are trying to do that to everyone else, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're trying works, to keep out. It's working pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, But that's cool that you've been passionate about designing games uh, since you were since you were young. That's I, I think that everyone that wants to be a game designer likes, just wants to create, right? And likes to likes to fix problems, likes to create new problems for themselves that other people mm -hmm. can fix. Um Right. So, um, yeah, so it's exciting to have you here. And, um, so thinking about, you know, your, um, your, your being a game designer now and, and working on this stuff seriously, I, I know that I'm so excited to, to dive in with on your game and, and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I, when I got the list of people, uh, from, from Mike and Grace, like you, you popped out to me right away, just reading about your bio and such. And was like, okay, I want to, I want to chat with Jamie and, you know, we, we met, I was very oh, excited shucks. to hear about your game. What'd you say? I said, oh, shucks. <laughs> yeah. So reading about your game, you know, I mean, not reading, sorry, hearing about your game when we chatted, I was really excited about that um, because I think you're doing some cool stuff there um, and you're, and you're going for it, right? You're, you're going to mm -hmm. kickstart, you're going for it. And, uh, and I've been there, uh, it was a long time ago, but I've been there and it's, uh, it can be a scary thing, you know? And sometimes I feel like having a little bit of like, I'm new at this, but I'm going to do it anyways, uh, is good <laughs> because, you know, um, because otherwise I think we can scare ourselves into not doing it. So I'm excited for you oh, that you're doing that. Uh, but I, before we do that though, I would love to chat a bit, uh, around, um, the tabletop mentorship uh, program mm -hmm. that you were in and you just ended back in November ish. I think was that correct? Yeah, uh, there? December. I, yeah. December was the official end, but you will, you will quickly learn as I talk about it, that I, I did not engage with the program nearly as much as I wish I did. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. The ends a little loosey goosey. I, I wish I participated in the discord more. Um, basically all I did was I, I met with my mentor. Um, mm -hmm. we had two or maybe just one. We had like one really solid phone call where mm -hmm. I showed her my game. Um, oh, so, so my mentor is, uh, I, I feel I'm so embarrassed that I'm blanking on her last name. Uh, but her first name is Gwen, and she is the graphic designer and one of the game designers behind Fire Tower, which is a huge, oh, awesome, successful. awesome, yeah, oh yeah, um, and yeah. So Gwen from Fire Tower was my mentor, um, and she is an absolute gem, and she was super helpful. Uh, we only had like three conversations, and one was on the phone, but you know she was busy, and I was also busy, and my brain was like kind of shut off for this winter <laughs> right. because of just all the yeah, all the, uh, yeah. you know the world, <laughs> the <laughs> horribleness. Know? All that stuff. Um, so yeah, I've been a little low energy up until recently, but uh, I showed her my game and she gave me a, a really dense amount of advice that caused me to totally revamp the the visuals of the prototype and like mm -hmm. push it from, you know, goofy prototype I'm still experimenting to this is the final layout that I can now give to a graphic designer so that all they have to do is just like, cool, I'm just going to do exactly what you did, but just polished and now but make you it have look a final fancy, product. Right? Exactly, yeah. 
Um, so, and that's basically the last step that I need to do in order to put together the Kickstarter page and actually launch the game. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, so. Um, so I know that Mike and Grace last week, they talked about how, um, you know, every person you fill out a survey basically that says, this is what I'm looking for. And uh, so were you specifically looking for more towards the graphic design side and more towards that sort of thing or, or holistically the game? Just because you mentioned Gwen does graphic design work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that that was an excellent pairing that Mike and Grace made for me. Uh, so you do a, you do an entrance survey as well. And you mm -hmm. note like, what are your primary things that you're working on? And I, I said to that, my primary thing is like, the game design is done. I'm just tweaking like some last cards for some of the decks. But the big thing that I need to look at is graphic design. Um, and I also, and then they, there are all kinds of things. They're like, what demographics of people are you most comfortable interacting with? And I was like, as long as it's not a straight white man, I'll be good. And like, so, as fair. long as someone gets my pronouns right, that's really what, right. what yes. I'm here for. And they were like, here, yes. the perfect mentor for you. Here you go. And I said, holy moly, I'm, I'm super pumped. <laughs> yeah. Great. They, they really pride themselves on that and, and they should because yeah. clearly they're doing a good job. And I think. You know, I think the testament to that pairing and the program is that you feel like you didn't engage enough. And yeah, that clearly you still got so much out of it, though. Right. I mean, like that's yeah. that's what's amazing to me is feeling like, oh, I could have done so much more. I wish I had. But <laughs> I also got so much out of this that it changed yep. my perspective on the whole process in, in, in your game. And that is I mean, that's that's impressive. That, that you know that much came out of that yeah it very much a a quality over quantity kind of a thing uh, but yeah it, i mean gwen and i we didn't we didn't like follow the recommended like once every other week check-in we only did the one or maybe two voice chats and all that stuff and then even with that you know, I feel like I got a ton out of it. And she emailed me towards the end, uh, end of the program. And she was like, I know that I was super busy. I feel bad. And also, like, please feel free to reach out about, you know, when you launch your Kickstarter and I'll oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, I that's mean, fantastic. if nothing else, if nothing else, the program is awesome for networking. So, yeah. Yep. And that was obviously something else Mike and Grace mentioned that some people like they had said, if you need nothing other than a network you should come to this program because that's, I mean, oh, that's a big yeah. deal for, that makes sense. Uh, you know, for new game designers, whether or not we have gatekeepers in the way, right. It's still hard to meet new people, especially last year. Right. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's funny though. So I, I just talked to um, Caroline Murphy uh, from mm -hmm. Boston fig. Cause Boston fig is, well, I, the, with the weird time thing with the recording via the publisher, by the time this is published, Boston right. fig will have just happened. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right, right. I did the like 15 minute interview with Caro and we were talking about how me and them and several other game designers mm -hmm. uh, all feel like we have been more connected because of COVID and how everything has moved online. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's, it, like I used to struggle to play test my game because uh, I was like a 45 minute commute from my Game Makers Guild meetings, which happened every other week. Right, right. Uh, and so I, I didn't even go every other week. I went like once a month on average. But now I go every time and they added more events and I'm in a Philadelphia playtesting group and a Seattle playtesting group and a New York playtesting group and an international one. So I can on weekdays alone, I can play test for like 25 hours with strangers now, which right. is that's fantastic. Outrageous. No, and I, I actually agree with you that when it came to getting playtests done, dealing with publishers, you know, seeing, I say, like more of my game design friends, I did way more of that in 2020 than I did in previous years. Mm -hmm. um, the difference, the difference I was thinking was if you were not in that community when you started it, it would have been very hard to find your way into that. You know, if you basically, I know no one and I'm walking into 2020 as a game designer who's new at this, right? That could be very yeah. hard to... Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do think that, you know, a lot of people, they made a lot of Facebook groups and things just trying to introduce people to one another. Um, so I'm I'm super happy that you were able to get that much playtesting in. Uh, I'm curious. So what what are your what have your experiences been with an international playtesting group? Ah, So that's the one that I've been to the least. I would I'm not surprised because <laughs> um, probably yeah. it's the hardest to schedule. 
Yeah. So yeah, it happens like it, for in my time zone, it's the middle middle of the day on Thursday. Okay. And you know, since the pandemic, my full time job has been you know start my game company, and that now I just work mm-hmm. for myself. Uh, yeah. So I can just do, do it whenever, but it's still really the issue is that it's the middle of the day and it's the last of the chunk of weekday play tests. So often I'm just right, like, right. Oh, I'm a zombie and I need to, right. I need to just right, right. talk to people. Um, but the couple of times I went, it was really cool. And I just, there are a whole bunch of hobbies. Uh, for example, I do, I do improv. That's one of my mm-hmm. major hobbies outside of game design. And it's common knowledge that like, okay, I, I was taught improv in Boston and that has a fundamentally different feel from improv in Chicago and improv in LA right. and improv. Yeah, in that New makes York. sense. And, yep. and these little clusters come up and it's like, cool, me and the 200 other improvisers in Boston, we all have this one particular style. Uh, and it's not quite as drastic as if we were to all go to Chicago and improvise with those players, we would have no idea what was going on, but there's definitely differences. Um, right. Dialects, right. Kind of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like dialects. And I, I don't think that happens as much in the game design community, like when mm-hmm. it comes to designing board games, even with that, it still feels awesome to get in my hands, like a fresh set of designers games. So like one person is right. in Spain and one person is in England and one person is in Norway and one person is in Brazil. And it's like, just awesome. even, yeah, just knowing that I'm playing worldwide games, like international games, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Well, and I mean, I think one of the nice things for game design is, you know, whether assuming that, you know, you can read any text because it's in a language, you know, right beyond that. Right. We all speak a common language of rules and kind of (laughs) customs within games right outside of like everything else. And so, well, I think there are different dialects, as we would say, um, of, you know, game design and things like that based on where you are in the world and what type of games you play and in what your culture is like, mm-hmm. we still, there's still so many commonalities, right? Oh um, yeah. And you see that on, on the large publishers where they're publishing people and you can look at names of people and see that, you know, people and like look them up and see there are people from all over the world designing games um, for these, for these large publishers. And they all feel like they were designed, you know, together, right? It, yeah. That sounded weird, but you know what I mean, right? I think longer ago, there was definitely that. I mean, there there was, you know, guaranteed that sort of regional distribution of games. Hence right, the right. term Euro and America tra- Ameritrash and all that right, other right, stuff. Right. But I think that in the past few years, it's all blended together. And I totally agree with you. It's like there's, it has, there's yeah. a, a separate language of game design with all these mechanics and different people will implement the mechanics in a different way as a, as opposed to different regions now. So, right. Right. And I, and then, you know, um, looking at, we have my friend, Chris Kopak, who's not a game designer, but he is, he is the most epic game player I've ever known. And he, uh, he's, that's such he a great qualification. <laughs> it is. He's amazing. He'll, he'll show up at a convention with 40 games in his backpack and he's packed them in a way that he's fitting them in like, a couple bags that aren't, you would never think were 40 games in there. Right. And he is semi addicted to buying games off amazon.de, uh, the German Amazon. And, uh, because of that, I've gotten to play so many different German games, um, and have taken a liking to like the slightly different style, right. Of that. Um, and that's influenced some of my game design, um, especially for smaller, like cards with numbers games. But the thing is, I'm obviously not the only one getting a chance to do that. Lots of us are, right? So yeah. as we see more games and think, oh, this German game designer, you know, like is doing this thing. I, I like the way these games work. You know, I'm going to seek out more of those games and I want to design those types of games. And I, I do. I think that um, in, a, in a year like 2020, there's even more of that because, mm-hmm. you know, borders don't really matter when you don't have to fly you know, a thousand <laughs> miles to go to Gen Con or whatever so that we can all play yeah, games no together. Joke. Yeah, the fact that the the world of board game design has become such a melting pot is just only excellent. I it's right. It's my favorite thing. It's one of my favorite things about the community is that it's mm-hmm. just I mean, it's at the point where I don't even notice 
that there are so many different people from other countries until something happens where it's like someone's talking about a spanner in the plan. I'm like, oh, you're from England. And I only right. knew that because <laughs> right. of the slang that you used. Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's good. And, and, and as I always say on the show, you know, the more different voices with different backgrounds, uh, you know, from different points of view, all of those things are really helpful in uh, in making sure that everyone's heard in game design and that we're getting experiences that we wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons we play games, in fact. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I would love to talk about fight sequence. And uh, Listen, so me too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I'll have you start off if you want just to give us kind of a nice overview pitch of how the game works and uh and then let's kind of dive into what we can dive into a little bit about how you went about designing it. And then, and then we'll talk about your goals with Kickstarter and things like that and where you're, where you're planning to go with it. So yeah. So take it away with a pitch. All right. Fight sequence is the tactical head to head card battler about a diverse cast of psychics thinking about fighting players build sequences of attacks and responses that resolve in reverse order representing the ebb and flow of a theoretical fantasy fight scene that's happening in their minds. Mm -hmm. And planning your own moves isn't the only key to victory. Uh, Players also have an array of psychic and magical powers that they can use to alter when or if actions in the sequence resolve. Oh, wow. So, so some programmed, so some programmed action, like, right. It is a uh, first action programming game. Right. But the idea, but with the ability to be able to manipulate that mm-hmm. um, in different ways. And you know, one of the things that, you know, you said a, divi- a, a diverse group of people, and I've seen some of your oh, artwork, yeah. and yeah. it is a diverse group of people. Um, and because it's psychic battling, um, you have, you, I mean, you have at least one character in a wheelchair, I believe. Yes. Um, Although I've, I've recently learned uh, the preferred terminology is uses a wheelchair as opposed to in a wheelchair. And I oh. got a, I got a little rundown about the, uh, the, the differences. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that seems, yeah. Right. I get that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the characters well, uses a wheelchair. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the, one, and then, yeah, there are non-binary characters, people of color, all this other stuff. Uh, Two of the characters in the first set of six, which is the one that I'm going to be kickstarting soon, um, are analogous to autistic people. Like they they have what is the in-universe autism, essentially, um, mm-hmm. or two different versions of it, I guess. And it's and there's, you know, I could go on and on about just the cast. You know, there's a wide range of ages and body types and all this other stuff. Right. Um, right. And that is on purpose. Uh, and leads into one of the inspirations for the game. Like one of the one of the design pillars of the game is that this is mm-hmm. a fighting game with a diverse cast because every other fighting game has the opposite, essentially. <laughs> so, right, right. The, yeah. So, it, I mean, fight sequence came around. It should I, I mean, I'll just I could just talk about how I created fight sequence. Now, is that where we're? Is that where we're? Yeah. Going? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yes. Cool. Yes. I'm going for it. So, fight sequence came about because. In theory, I love fighting games. Uh, in practice, I don't have the reflexes for them. Um, so I have Same. failed miserably <laughs> at every fighting video game I've tried. And I've tried a whole bunch because I, I wanted to be good at them. I promise right. I wanted to, but I just... From a I fellow button be... masher, I get you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like, I just, I take too long to think about what to do. So like Super Smash Brothers is the only one that I got into. And I just can't play with anybody who has any amount of skill because I don't have yep. the reflexes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was really excited starting a few years ago when I saw uh, all these different fighting games that are card games. So like Battlecon, Yomi, and more recently, there's a whole bunch of other ones like Super Combo Fighter and Punch mm-hmm. Fight. Yeah. And there's all there's all kinds of stuff now. <laughs> um, but the, the two main ones that I saw were Yomi and Battlecon. And, you know, I, I a friend of mine taught me how to play Battlecon and I bought the set and I tried teaching as many people as I could. And I learned over time that this was not the experience that I wanted. And then I tried Yomi and that was not the experience I wanted either. So I I dove into why that was the case. And after a little bit of research and like reading about these games, it was made very clear to me that every single other fighting game that exists is trying to emulate video games which is totally cool. Of course, it's just not the right? style that I want. So I, I basically, it's like, is it a rock, paper, scissors mechanic or is it a stun lock mechanic? 
uh, or is it an arcade fighter, which you're just trying to string together like outrageous combos that nobody can do anything against. And all three of these things, like these are every fighting game funnels into one or more of these three things. And I just do not like any of that. And I was like, all right, well, why, why don't I just take a crack at the game that I want to play? And this was still in the middle of me just designing all different kinds of things while I get my feet under me. Um, And then I ended up loving it. Uh, because the the main things with my game are, are that it's turn based, so we're taking actions one at a time, and because mm-hmm. we're psychic, the theme being psychic, I see what you are doing and can respond to it the way that I want. So I see you're going to throw a certain punch, and it's like, okay, cool. Am I going to block the punch? Am I just going to throw a fireball at you? What am I going to do? Am I just going to let it happen and I'll pass and whatever? Um, the other thing is that it is infuriating to me when attacks and blocks or whatever the defenses are are on separate cards because then the game is way too high variance because okay what happens if it's the start of the game you draw all your defenses and now you're a sitting duck for the rest of the game because shuffling decks is annoying you know um so i wanted to find a way to get rid of that so one of the major things about fight sequence that sets it apart is that every single card in the game has an attack and a response. The response is being the defenses. So no matter mm-hmm. what card it is, you can play it offensively or defensively, and you have to think about which move is the best, right? In a given right. context. Um, and are those are those generally balanced to one is going to be better, or they're going to be about equal as either one? Ah, so it says right on the website that the strength of any given action, be it an attack or response, is contextual. And uh, right. uh, let me see if I can give you an example. I'll try to give you an example. So uh, in fight sequence, uh, you know, every action slot will fit one card um, or more. If the, but uh, that's for the advanced stuff. Anyway. All right. So one, one card per action slot. Uh, and at max, you can have nine actions in one sequence. When there are nine, you can't fit anymore. So if I play uh the the two main responses are the block which discards the thing next to it if the types match types being physical or magical uh so the block will discard the thing next to it so it's very vulnerable to being moved around or removed or all this other stuff uh the manipulation that i was talking about yeah yep but if you're throwing a fireball at me fireball deals six damage and i play this block i'm stopping six damage which is a ton of damage um the average power of a card is about three. So fireball is massive. I see. So the block is better based on what it's blocking, right? Because it's canceling a card. Yes. But I see, if yeah. you're jabbing me, jab is very fast, but only has one power. That's probably not a thing I want to block uh, because I'm just trading one card for one damage. Right. But if you jab me a bunch of times and I play the other response, defenses, so you gain armor or resistance. Armor is damage reduction for physical attacks and resistance is damage reduction for magical attacks. Blocks are one shot, but armor and resistance last for an entire sequence. So once they resolve, so if I play in the ninth action slot, if I play armor, you can't do anything about it because you can't fit, you can't block it, you can't fit anything else in the sequence, so it's going to resolve. And if you played five physical attacks and I get armor, every single one of those physical attacks now has its damage reduced by three. It's always plus three for armor and resistance. I see. So that yeah, one yeah. response ended up stopping like 14 damage or 12 damage or something. Right. So it's better than right. a block, but. It is contextual, right? Because if you played right. only magical attacks and I only had armor, I can't do anything. Or if you played a right. mix, you know, it's it's less effective, all that stuff. And so any given action is more or less effective depending on the context around it. Now, it, that's the example with responses. With attacks, there's a speed system. So every attack has speed and power. And in order mm-hmm. to build attacks into the sequence, you have to meet or exceed the speed of what's next to it, of what you're trying to build next to. So I mentioned sense, Fireball. Yeah. Six power. Six power is the most in the game until you get to like the advanced character decks. Mm-hmm. But it has 10 speed, which is the lowest in the game. So it's hard to build into a sequence. Um, the thing about responses is that you can always respond regardless of what the speed is. You ignore the speed. You can always respond. Right. That makes sense. Um, but it resets the speed. So if you play a 60 and I respond, I open speed back up and you can throw a fireball at me. Right. So so like the idea that I could, you put a block in front of a fireball. Okay. You're real excited. Mm-hmm. I could then maybe manipulate that to move it. So it's blocking a jab 
and now yeah. your card has is is massively less good. Yes. I didn't get rid of your card. I just contextually made it not nearly as good. So, yes. Yeah, that's I really like that. That's very cool. Um and you I, mentioned decks. So the each character has its own deck. Is that how it works? Yes. Yeah. So the structure of the game is um so fight sequence the first chapter is the full name of what I'm kickstarting this year. Uh and uh, the the size of the game, I, I only have one reference point. It's a game called Motainai, which is by Asmati Games. Um, that's the only game I own that has that is this exact size. It fits exactly in a, a U.S. small flat rate box, uh, if you oh, can imagine cool. okay. that. Yeah. And so that fits exactly six decks and like the required tokens and like rulebook and rules reminder cards. So mm-hmm. every fight sequence set, at least for now, is going to be six decks which is six different characters. Each character has their own deck and there isn't any, there's no dice deck building. There's no drafting. There's no pen and paper needed um, because health is tracked with your deck. So when I deal you six damage, you take six cards from your deck and you discard. Ah, them. So that's yeah, another like thing that, that makes the game different from other fighting games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some other fighting games do that, but, um, but nobody has the the collection of mechanics that fight sequence does. So it's still different. Um, oh yeah, 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 but, for uh, sure. No, I, I, I like games that do the, like my favorite thing about magic, the gathering, which I was awful at for the record, but was deck <laughs> burning decks where like, you would just like make people like, just keep throwing away their deck. Oh yeah. Like, uh, Milling. And I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm awful at, I was awful at it, but that was fun. Cause I was like, Oh look, I'm making you lose by running out of cards. That's funny to me. <laughs> so, um, so I love that having your health built into that. I've seen that in a couple other games, but I'm failing to remember what they are off the top of my head. Um, but they were not fighting games. I don't think it was just like your energy or whatever is based on what your deck is. So I, mm-hmm. I love that mechanic. That's good. Yeah. I also love that mechanic and it's, it's core and critical to the design of fight sequence for sure. Awesome. It's um, just so clean, right? Yes. That you don't have to write it down. It's just, Hey, ditch some cards. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very yeah. clean and it, it provides natural counterbalance to a lot of things that make card games generally a little stale or uh, sorry what i should say is what makes certain card games stale so for example dominion we all know dominion the best thing you want to or sorry not dominion uh, ascension the best thing you want to do in ascension is just draw as many cards as you can because there's no drawback and that right, is right. frequently the case magic the gathering maybe not draw every single card in your deck but like the more cards you can draw, the better off you're going to be yeah, in general. Better options you have, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but in fight sequence, every time you draw a card, you are effectively taking one damage because it is one right. less health that you have in your deck. And right. so... Which I'm assuming that fits to the theme because it's... Is it damage damage? like, Or is it like psychic? Like, this is my energy that I have and I'm using that to... Like, how does that correlate? Yeah, with the is flavor... It, is it physical damage or... Mm, kind of. So the idea... When I think of the flavor of fight sequence, what I think of is like, cool, you and I are these two psychics and we're about to engage in whatever fight sequence is representing a, a match, a tournament match. I don't know. We're sparring. It's like sparring, basically. So we okay. we connect into this sort of lucid dream kind of planar overlay kind of thing. Yeah, that yeah that makes so sense. We sort yeah. of move into this dreamlike the environment and we Mm -hmm. fight in there uh and we you know we look the same we can do all the same stuff and we're beating the heck out of each other but it's in this dreamlike scenario and so the idea behind a sequence is it's sort of like how if you're in a dream you're having a dream and you get grievously injured in or you like fall and before you impact on the ground you wake up and so it's sort of like that like okay cool Mm -hmm. that's why each sequence is just a set number of actions so it's like all right cool you block my first swing of my sword and then my second one gets you and then the sequence is over so it's like cool we break apart we connect again and so the cards are representing our thoughts when they're in our hand Mm -hmm. the, the different things that we're thinking of doing um and when they're in the deck, they're sort of representing our energy level like you were saying and so the idea is when someone has an empty deck when their deck is already empty, they take any amount of damage, they lose the game. That implies that they are too exhausted to maintain that sort of right. psychic connection and have to yep. go take a nap. Yep. The description, what it reminds me of, and I know it's not this, it's like the psychic matrix. <laughs> like I think of like <laughs> Morpheus and Neo fighting like the uh, in the dojo uh, that? when he's like, oh, I learned all these karate in different styles. And he's like, all right, show me, you know. Um, That's 
that's a really cool analogy. The one that I've heard some people say and is actually an inspiration for this is, um, do you know the, uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr.? Have you seen those? Yeah. 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 So the those fight scenes where he's I mean, there's more, I think, in the second movie than the first one, but like where there's the slow motion thing and he's like talking through like this is going to happen and then I'm going to do this and then this will happen and then right. and all this yep. other stuff, and they're going through it in slow motion. Um I think especially the Moriarty one, because then they have like branching things. Uh right. And right. then it all like all right, all the we talked through all the stuff and then snap back and then it all happens in one second or something. Right. That, that yep. was that was a major inspiration. I was like, why why not be able to do that? Why not be able to think through what you want right. to do? Um, and so one of the things you had said is you build them out and do they does it go backwards or does it go does it go forwards? So if I oh, put backwards. my cards up, it so the last card I played is the first card that takes action. Is yes. that correct? Yep. Awesome. So I see. So you're saying like, if I play armor at the end, now it's too late for you to do something about it and it's going to carry through. Okay. Yep, yeah. That makes sense. And I like that. that happens. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's kind of the, was well, an old magic rule, right? First in last out. Is that yes. the, I think. Yeah. yeah. So. I, uh, I will sometimes still do this if people are magic players, but, um, I used to solely describe the game as magic, the gathering, the stack, the game. <laughs> because that, I mean, that's literally all you just build and resolve stacks. Um, right, right, right. It has much more character and identity than a stack because it sounds stack, like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you can like move around actions and put them back in people's hands and all this other stuff. Um, I also realized we, we sort of walked away from a question that I meant to answer and only half answered oh, when you were talking right. about there's a, there's a deck for every character. And the answer oh, is yes. 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 Um, so the, the way there's like an introductory deck system with the game, uh, which is a fully fleshed out game. And there are plenty of people that only play the the quote unquote intro decks. They're called the Academy decks because they're designed to teach you. So fight sequence chapter one will have two Academy decks and four characters. And then every subsequent okay. set will have six characters. Um, and every character has their own subset of cards and their own unique cards and stuff like that. So it, the idea is that every single deck has two copies of each card. And so the Academy decks are 40 cards. So it's 20 different cards. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't have to learn 8 million different things. And uh, it also helps because you're, you know, you end up discarding about half the cards in your deck. And so sometimes you'll see two of a card or zero of a card and it, it right, lends itself right. to a nice balance. You pick up a character, character deck, you flip through and you say, okay, cool. Yeah. These first 12 cards I recognize from the Academy decks. Okay, and now okay. the rest of these cards are unique to this character and they all have different themes and sub themes. So there's a character that, you know, uh, they have they get six card hands instead of five card hands. And their whole thing is that they're trying to build chains, which are the combo attacks of mm -hmm. the game. There's another character that um, all of her attacks are a little bit below average, but they'll give you like if you chain it, it's offensive. And if you play it on its own, it gives you a defensive boost of some kind. And so, OK, oh, she can, cool. like, yeah, with many of her cards, she can choose if it's like an offensive benefit or a defensive benefit, stuff like that. There's a, there's Very all cool. kinds of stuff. So, so your plans for the Kickstarter are, um, mm -hmm. to do the, you know, the first chapter. Um, and you said, so how many cards does that end up being then total? Like what is, what's, um, you know, what, what's the whole game? Um, you've got, you said the box size and then I'm assuming yeah. 40 cards per deck. You said, was that yeah, for all roughly. the decks? Um, uh, that's not every single deck. I mean, it averages about 41 cards a deck. It's not huge differences, but one of the balancing aspects of the characters ah, is that they have right. different amounts of health, which is your deck yep. size. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great balancing tool, like a lever to be able to pull with the thanks. deck size. For sure. Yeah. Uh, in chapter one, it, the range is 38 to 44 in the grand scheme of fight sequence so far, it's 36 to 48, which is wild and you know, I'm still testing that, of course, because those are future, future characters. Um, I promise right, the right. mechanics around them make sense, at least in this stage of design. Right, right. Um, no, I believe it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's six decks that are 40-ish cards on average. And then all of the tokens and rules reminder cards and all that stuff are also the same size. So it's the poker-sized mm -hmm. cards. Uh, and then a rule book. And that's the whole game. And Awesome. Yeah, the big the big thing is uh, so it, the plan for the Kickstarter, the first Kickstarter. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible because it's basically yep. just me doing Smart. it. Smart. 
Um, What I am thinking of doing, this part is not confirmed yet. I'm thinking of having it be a US only campaign. And then I just do the fulfillment myself because it fits in a small flat rate box. I don't have any add-ons and I don't have, like I'm going to use the first campaign to say, cool, I have no add-ons. I have one stretch goal and it's repeating and it's basically, and it's just, hey, uh, every character deck gets plus one piece of art like plus one piece of unique cool and then that's a repeating stretch goal that will you know keep like every twelve hundred dollars each character gets another piece of art so let's keep or something i don't know what the final number yeah no that makes sense yeah for sure Uh, because that benefits everybody it doesn't create add-ons it doesn't create additional things to ship yeah doesn't make things cost more to send yes exactly um and the artist is both an absolute gem to work with and a speed demon um, so I awesome. know that she will be able to, if we hit the point where every single card has unique art, uh, I mean, it's still, you know, two copies of every card. So it's still only half of the cards in the game have unique art right, because right. they're doubled. Um, right. I know that she'll be able to do it within the production timeline that I'm already taking. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is a good, uh, it's real good. that's a good to have up your sleeve for sure. Yeah. Um, um and because I have no add-ons or anything, it's really just going to be like, there are three tiers. There's a $1 tier, there's a get the game tier, and there's a retail tier. Um, and like, that's that's all I'm going to be doing. Um, so hopefully it will be very easy. And then the second campaign will be assuredly much more complex because I will have figured out international shipping with all the new VAT stuff and mm-hmm. all the nonsense that's happening and... Hopefully it'll be a little cheaper because people can actually go to work because people are vaccinated. I do think too that um, you'll be in a good position, you know, even later this year for um, some of the issues around um, economic stuff with things like, you know, if you get it printed in China, like what's it going to cost to get it back? And, you know, all those tariffs and things like that. I think we'll see some of that level out, uh, hopefully soon after January 20th. Uh, so Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see some of that start to go in the right direction. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Um, right. But yeah, so, I am. Um... Oh, sorry. You go. I, I was just going to say that, um, that all sounds really good that you're keeping it. You're keeping it, you know, it's a, it's a small box game that you mm-hmm. know how to send. You can do it yourself. Uh, I think anytime you can do fulfillment yourself, obviously it saves you money. Yeah. Um, and then definitely not good for every situation though. Uh, nope. Nope. So uh, my, my thing is that as long as it is under, like if I am like, I'm probably ordering a thousand copies anyway, because of minimum order right. quantity and just, it's a better price. Right. Yes. So um, if I end up, it, I think the cutoff's probably going to be like 600 or 700 backers or more. That's when I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Quartermaster or whoever you yeah, take care yeah. of it. I'm not worrying about this, but if right, you know, right. it, I'll be able to fund with like 350 or 400 backers. I believe uh, I don't have the final numbers yet, but that's roughly what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that many backers, like, yeah, whatever, I'll just do it myself. I'll get it shipped to here and I'll just rent out a storage unit. That's the biggest I can find. And, Right, or like right. two if I need to, and then just well, you may not even need to do that. With I mean, you know, like when it comes to you, you're talking about storing it long term or like getting it and shipping it. Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about, really. I'm both <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Um, because yeah, I mean, that's you know, a thousand games of, of a smaller box size, and it takes up space. I guess, yeah, I know because of the way they box it, it's not like you're just getting a pallet, so yeah, no, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some games I've got in boxes, and yeah, no, they take up space. So they otherwise, do. it's basically going to be your a your deceptively large amount of space. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they do, right? Um, for shipping, are you going to do um, actual shipping after the fact instead of baking it into the campaign? Ah, yeah. So, the, so that's that's the big that's the big question on everyone's minds, right? Every, every Kickstarter person has to think about that. Um, I need to refresh my memory on. It is it is the most common practice is to charge shipping after the fact. However, assuming I move forward with this plan of US only and no add-ons and none of that stuff, which is likely, um, then I know that the shipping will just be seven dollars per person. Um or seven dollars right, right. per person per game because right. um because yep. that's the that's what the small flat rate costs to ship. Or it's like right. seven dollars and thirty-five cents or something, but I'll just eat the cents. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if if that is the case, like in, in situations that are this specific situation, I have to look up and refresh my memory on whether it is better to charge in the right. Kickstarter campaign or right. not. I, the, 
I want to say I think it's better to charge after the fact, like in the pledge manager, because then it doesn't get eaten by Kickstarter's fees, yes. which are greater. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if, right? if you have, <laughs> if I understand it correctly, and I'm this is something I'm researching too, all of my publisher friends have said, do it after the fact. Um, yeah. Say, I will charge you actual shipping after the fact. It will probably be $7, but I will charge it to you after the fact. Um, but the... Uh, I some I, I know that the pledge managers generally take less than Kickstarter, right? Yep. Um, which is not surprising. Um, nothing against Kickstarter. I mean, they have a business around. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, but I also have heard that if you do it, the pledge manager is going to take their fees no matter what. Um, so if you do it all through Kickstarter and still use a pledge manager to you know get the addresses lined up and stuff and do all the rest of it, um, you're still going to get that extra charge. So you might as well just do it on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um. But that said, I'm not 100% on all of that either. I'm still learning that as well. So yeah, um, I wish yeah. I, so I wish I just like out. had my articles. I, I have them somewhere. They're right. buried in a folder. Oh, I would good. go get them, good. but I, <laughs> but it would you're doing your long. research though. And that's, that's good. Um, yeah. You know, super going important. into it with, with as much as you can know about it is, is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're hoping to do it. Well, you're planning to do it at some point this year. Um, yes. Just not a hundred percent sure when. Um, yeah, all the and, all the media surrounding fight sequence says coming in 2021. <laughs> right. um, Smart, uh, because you know I tried guessing like so many times and kept getting it wrong, and then it got to the point where like now I'm trying to establish an online presence. I have a company, I have a website. There are like 15 different things I have to change every time I change the date. Right, right. So, but you know, the, I have I have one major thing to do left, and that's find a graphic designer that mm-hmm. fits with the style and fits in my budget. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, get the last piece done, which is just take my, like I have the final layout prototype and all that stuff. And I have designed basically the the best version I can of all the icons and tokens and stuff. And I just need to, them to take that, polish it up and then do some Kickstarter graphics and then I can launch. Um, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's real quick. Something to watch out for. If you get pushed to later in the year, and I this is one of the few things I can speak from experience on Kickstarter on having done one Kickstarter, and this happened to me, which is what you don't want to do, and maybe somebody can tell me a way to get around this, but what you don't want to do is have your Kickstarter finish in December and get all that money. Yep. And then pay your pay your printer in January. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. and that happened to me. I was able luckily to pay out pretty much everyone except for the actual printing costs. And I didn't, my Kickstarter didn't make a ton of money anyways. So it wasn't like I had to pay a ton of taxes, but I did have to pay some extra taxes on that, that I wouldn't have had to, if I'd been able to negate it with the price of printing. Mm-hmm. So that is one thing I know because that's tax code. That's not, <laughs> that's not Kickstarter. That's just tax laws in yeah. the U S yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty hefty, it's like, 10% or something or like it's, 15%. Yeah, I mean whatever it is, I mean it goes it goes on your um it'll go on your uh on your taxes and if you are currently running a business uh that is getting started, obviously that could be a very large impact to your taxes depending yeah. on how well the Kickstarter does um based on cash flow and that so that's just something to remember. Um yeah, but it sounds like by the time you get to Kickstarter you will be very close to then being ready to go to print soon after that, which is good. Uh, Well, yes and no. So here, the the general Uh, advice is have your delivery date, your estimated delivery date, be about a year after Mm -hmm. your after your your launch date. Granted, uh, all kinds of creators will have all kinds of different reasons for picking the delivery dates that they do. Uh, A bunch Mm -hmm. of people who are more established. Uh, have delivery dates that are much sooner than a year. Right, right. Um, I know that if I were to, as I was saying before, you know, I'm going to get a base amount of art and then the stretch goal will be repeating unique art. If yep, To get yep. all of that art, it'll be like six to eight months or something. So I was planning on doing a year out. So the delivery will be in 2022, um, mm-hmm. probably, or like maybe like... I could see maybe November at the earliest, November of this year. Uh, but I'm hoping right, right. to launch around tax season. Mm-hmm. 
uh, at this point. That's the that's the fingers crossed, like best case scenario right, right. for me. In that May, changes, right? Like I mean, yeah, we won't hold you to that uh, because I, you know, I've I, been listen, there. I've I mean, changed it like seven times. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. no, with the game I'm working on, I've been like, I think I want to do this first quarter ish, maybe <laughs> second quarter. Like really, like you have to, um, you just have to be willing to be flexible. Mm-hmm. to have the best version of the game ready out there. Right. Cause you get, yes. you get one solid shot at putting it on Kickstarter. I mean, obviously there are exceptions to that rule where people have canceled and come back and been like blew it out of the water the second time. But as a first time designer uh, for, sorry, first time publisher, you don't want to do that. Right. Like you want it to, you want it to do well enough on the first go round. Um, especially cause you want to make more version, you know, more, uh, uh, add-ons for this game and more expansions to the game. That's what I was oh, going to yeah. say. Any, say every fighting time. game with their Go salt on. has an expanding roster and I am no different. <laughs> yeah. And it should, I mean, right. I mean, that's one of the, um, you know, that's one of the draws to a game like that is, you know, that it's, if you can make it a game that people want to keep playing, they will be excited to get the expansions. And when you do your, when you do your first expansion, you of course will have it in there that they can also buy the original game. And maybe you're doing a second printing at that point. And those are all things that are really, really helpful. Um, You know, like obviously there's the idea that if your first Kickstarter did, you know, like a thousand games, then your second Kickstarter is really like that thousand is your limit, right? Because now for the expansion, if they don't have the original game, why would they want the expansion? But Uh. I've, but that's I'm we're probably about to say the same thing <laughs> what um what can happen is because you've got the original base game in there you can actually grow and I've actually seen that where the first game does okay and then you make an expansion to it and also put the first game in there and the second one goes gangbusters because now it's out there and people wanted it the demand was there for it oh and now I can get an expansion and the original sign me up right mm-hmm. and the the cool thing about fight sequence is you don't need the first set to play the second set. Ah, right. That so makes sense. Because that, yeah. So that's like every single set can stand on its own. Um that's smart I, for sure. An issue that I, I need to solve in the future. This is a future Jamie problem. I don't have to solve this with fight sequence the first hey, that's chapter. Cool. Yeah. But uh I I am probably going to devise some way for people to buy just the Academy decks. That isn't going to be this year, but I am thinking of doing it where it's like a, just an even smaller box, like maybe like a, like a star realms size box Mm -hmm. or like, I guess it'd be like two star realm size boxes, but, um, and it's just the Academy decks. And so if someone only wants like what, because when I get up to like the fourth set, if someone just wants set number four and the Academy decks, it's like, cool. I'm just going to get these and see what the game is about. Right. All right. right. Cool. No, I really like it. I'm going to buy the other three sets. Um, and they could theoretically just buy the Academy decks, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that won't happen for fight sequence, the first chapter, but in theory, course, yes, yeah, that's, no. that's you something like that I'm, I'm looking chapter. at down yeah. the line. Um, but that's, yeah. again, that's, that's in the realm of like, I want to have all these add-ons. I'll have weird, cool yes. poker chip tokens. I'll have all these yeah. other stuff. Yep. Um, and right. that is especially important because of the, the, like the final form of fight sequence, the end goal that I have in mind, which I am mm-hmm. super, super pumped. I hope I get to do this is, um, uh, what I call the guest star series, which, you know, the name is pending, but um, if fight sequence becomes popular enough and it sells enough, I will be able to use that to leverage, like pitching it to people who have other intellectual properties and just try to get their characters in the game. And I have so, I have such grand schemes in mind. That would be, for that would be fun. And that would also help sell it for sure. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, even just with having that in mind, even if that never occurs, just having that be a potential thing, I have, you know, already had to and have figured out how to make the game stand out on its own, because I I thought a lot about that. And it's why Mm -hmm. I'm nervous about making like a, a quote unquote, more traditional game that I will then attempt to expand because of that exact reason. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no shade for anyone who does that. It's just my particular no, brain. No. I would get way too nervous about that. <laughs> right, right, right. And there's, you know, I've like I said, I've seen it more recently. I've seen it done better than it's been done in the past where people oh, yeah. have had that realization like, well, if I only had a thousand backers in the first game, I don't want the second game to be a thousand backers. 
I want to make it 2000 and, and sell a bunch of the original copies with the game. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that publishers have figured that out and how to make that work better. Um, Oh yeah, so, and I mean, and like fact, going back to the the like the melting pot collective hive mind that we're developing in board games. Right, right, right. The, the the more kickstarters that occur, the more we all learn. I mean, anyone who's you know willing to do the work and put in the research, it's there's just you know, a, a treasure trove of information out there. So much, so much information. Yes, so awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun chatting about your game, oh, chatting with you, getting to know you. It is. It is. We've been talking for an oh, hour. Wow. It's crazy how quickly Whoa. that went, right? <laughs> so um, this was a really, really fun conversation. And uh, yeah. I'm sure that the, the the listeners enjoyed it as well. We're going to have you back on in, uh, in about six episodes. You'll be back. And uh, next time uh, our goal is, and I, Jamie and I talked about this at the beginning, but just so you all know, next time our goal is to, you know, have Jamie come to us with some maybe some specific things we want to talk about around fight sequence or the Kickstarter or even just design challenges in general. And then uh, I'll probably have another host on with me so that we can kind of help out with that because we want to help them uh, get through that as much as possible. Uh, because Very much appreciated. Yeah. Yes. So awesome. Well, hey, I'm going to do the end of the show thing here and uh, Ooh, it's going to be loads I, of fun. So. Should I let people know where they can find me and find fight sequence that's that is part of the end of the show Uh so actually first no do you talk actually no because i want to throw your website out there so because you've got the website uh but it is slipping my mind right now because it's been months since i was able to go there (laughs) yeah what um what is the what's the fight sequence website so the fight sequence website is fightsequence.com uh, it's mm-hmm. spelled exactly like, or should I spell it? Would that be helpful for listeners? You think if they can't spell sequence, they better look that up. So, um, <laughs> the U goes after the Q, uh, <laughs> but you do have some, you've got some artwork on the site yes. from the game. Yep. Little uh, character really, bio. really liked. Yes. Yeah. So check in not too out. long a time, I'll have like dedicated pages for each character that goes into more depth of like their backstory and stuff. And like, uh, oh, excellent. shows excellent. their cards and stuff, but that's, that's, uh, the near future. Um, but you can go and right, you can read right. about the characters. Um, and, the the company site and the the game site are linked to each other. Oh, so I, I didn't talk about my company at all and my goals with my company. You did not, uh, not uh, which I believe is Triple Rainbow Games. Yes, Triple Rainbow correct? Games. Yes. The website for I love that, that is that name. Yeah, Triple Rainbow Dot Games. Uh, I love the URL too. The getting the yes. dot games URL was was a good. Yes, that call. is um, that is really good. And yeah, and so the goal, the overarching, the overarching goal of Triple Rainbow Games is to make strategy games for diverse audiences. So all of my games and my hiring practices are uh, focused on getting as much diversity out into the board game world as possible, and just be a driving force for that. Granted, I'm I'm a Fantastic. small nobody, so I'm not a driving force, but I, you know, <laughs> the foundation it, is there. It makes a difference, and you know, you're. Your plan is to grow an audience. And so starting at the beginning and doing it in the best way possible is yeah. is great. You know, uh, it, it may it, if if it doesn't make a difference to thousands of people, it still makes a difference to the people that you hire. Yes. Right. And that is important. Yep. And um, regardless, I don't have the exact numbers yet because I need to see what my profit margins are. But regardless of whether I make if I sell 100 games or 100,000 games um, every single quarter, I'm going to be donating a percentage of my profits to uh causes and nonprofits and stuff that are helping you know fantastic further diversity and help take care of people in marginalized communities examples are like black lives matter the able gamers mm-hmm. foundation uh the network Lared, which helps um lgbtq plus peeps who have suffered through domestic violence and stuff like that um mm-hmm. planned parenthood things like that so awesome all good organizations for yeah. sure yeah. um so yeah, so hey listeners, if you uh if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach out at buildingthegamepodcast.com, email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to find us on the Twitter, uh at podcastbtg, I'm at J A Slingerland. Jamie, what is your Twitter handle? It is uh at Tri Rainbow Games, T-R-I, because I can't fit the full company name right. in the Twitter handle. Yep. <laughs> Hence J.A. Slingerland instead of Jason Slingerland because that won't fit either. So well, it was so close, yeah, though. Like, come on, come on. 
Um, if you uh, you can also join our Discord channel, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, I've seen a, a, quite a few new people in the new year, which is great. We've got some really cool. good discussions going on over there. Uh, Jamie is in the Discord channel as well. So if you ever want to ask them some questions, you're welcome to do that. And uh, yeah, check it out. So I'll be back next week with uh, with not another mentee. I'll be back next week with a different guest. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll have our next mentee. And we're going to keep that cycle up for a while, uh, going back and forth uh, between the mentees. So uh, that is all for tonight. Thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Good night. Bye. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email.